He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. The formality of what people think, what we're taught, isn't necessarily the the route for everybody. And I think that there's, again, traumas and learning lessons and things that people have in their life that shape who they are. And for me, that was my daughter being born at 21, like having to figure stuff out, you know, having to figure out how am I going to get a job? I don't have a high school diploma. Like, where am I going to be able to build something and stuff like that? And again, that was me being dumb. And like, why didn't I go back to school and get a GED? At least like I just didn't think like that. And essentially now, you know, I have multiple seven figure businesses. And I think that a lot of people can build this way and it doesn't have to be the normal path and you don't have to follow the curriculums that people do that are what are our norms and i do believe that there's a lot of opportunity but i do also believe that you have to have a tremendous amount of perseverance grit tenacity and the ability to want to grow and learn by other people You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live, and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now, let's begin. All right, Nathan, another question and a minute with minute. But my question is for new and existing users, what can they expect to be in the horizon when it comes to the devices and the services that you guys offer beyond noise? There are a couple of things in the pipeline now that are pretty exciting for me as an employee and a a salesperson of minute. We're always trying to add new features as evidenced by some of the more recent ones like cigarette detection or outdoor monitoring. And We have a few either launching now or that will be launching soon. For instance, our call assist service will bring the ability to have a human caller actually help make a phone call and deal with a noise event at a property so that it's not just an automated message. We have a couple other exciting ones in the pipeline as well that I won't talk about just yet, but stay tuned. Well, you'll have to tune in to another Minute with Minute. So thank you so much, Nathan. And we're back to the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. And I am pumped and I don't say this every episode, even though I probably should, but I've been looking forward to this episode since Jesse and I got to sit down for our pre-chat and to take it back for all the listeners. Do you can imagine it's 2020, COVID's happened, we're all thinking it's going to be two weeks flatten the curve, all this great stuff. You're drinking, you're going out with friends outside, you're having a good time. Then there's this thing called Clubhouse comes out and all your industry friends come on and we just get to basically have a virtual audio party every day, every night, multiple hours a day. And that's where I first actually met Jesse. I knew of you, I think prior to like in 2019 kind of year But then COVID really was what kind of tipped the scale. So Jesse, one, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And two, let's take it back to the clubhouse days really quick (laughs) before we jump into your story. What, who got you on the app? And also what, what are your thoughts on how all of that kind of, kind of blossomed into today for you? Well, first off, don't get me started on on politics with COVID. So I don't don't want to go there. I don't want to offend anybody right now, but I, that was a, it, it was actually, you know what, man, I think, Will, you know, I talked about this. I appreciated COVID, 
even though it has mm -hmm. there was a lot of horrible issues that happened i worked in healthcare so i saw the damage that was being done like there were literally thousands of people dying like i'm not kidding like that was actually happening mainly older people in my market i worked with a couple of people that actually passed away that were in their 40s which is also another thing but yeah man i i, I think that you're right everybody got on clubhouse because i mean everything was closed and it was a way for people to get out and express what they had going on when essentially, you know, people weren't going out and, you know, there was people that were still going out and doing things. But for the most part, you couldn't go to restaurants. You couldn't go to nightlife. You couldn't unless you were like in certain parts of Florida. <laughs> There's a couple little pockets here and there. But yeah, man, most of the I mean, the world was basically shut down. So we were able to connect with each other and talk about things that we loved. And that was, you know, midterm, short term, you know, all those things. And that's where I got to know you and like, essentially bill like all these people that are that i didn't even know about man like i didn't really know the industry folks at the time other than was like what bigger pockets was was telling us about you know what i mean so for me to meet you and to meet all these other people it was such a like a, a really pivotal point in my life i think it was like a lot of people it really gave me the it, it sat me down it didn't sit, sit me down metaphorically but i got the chance to really think about like where i want to be at in my life and is the work, job that i'm at is that is that worth it you know and there's a great resignation you guys all know about that where people just decided to leave their jobs either they got fired or they left and they created other businesses and that's what covid did for me it allowed me to see a bigger picture and to see what i do what i like and what i don't like and where i was heading because again we had a lot of time to think about it right so it really gave me that 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 idea of like i don't need to be here anymore just to give you guys context i was working in the healthcare sector business development which is basically a fancy way of saying sales rep for hospitals and for these home health and hospice agencies and i was driving to the bay area which was like two hours one way two and a half hours three hours sometimes even so for me that was a six hour drive plus an eight hour day of work essentially so you guys figure i was making two hundred thousand dollars a year which is fantastic money you know in the grand scheme of things it's not very much but for for me as a living in a podunk town in central california that's like dude you hit the lottery you know what i mean so for me, just to to have that, I was just very thankful to have that job. But then, you know, leaving it was another thing. And that was hard. And we can get into that if you want, but just kind of seeing where you want to go on this, Will. Yeah, well, I, I definitely took a note prior to you jumping on the recording on, you know, in my in my note, it literally says taking the leap. And so to let's set the scene a little bit better. I know we jumped right into COVID and Clubhouse just because I wanted to kind of also, I love sharing with the audience and listeners kind of where we meet and how the origin really starts yes we met two years ago or three years ago sorry yeah. uh, but you know finally here we are three years later to have this conversation so to kind of give some perspective you know what what were you doing prior like you were doing health and all this other stuff but what was the beginning moment because i know you were doing short-term rental and mid-term rental prior like you mm -hmm. were still kind of working the w2 doing the side hustle building it up so walk us through from the beginning you start and then to the the leap, the quitting the W-2, going to the the <laughs> COVIDpreneur that is, was a term, like the great resignation for sure. But I think yeah. we saw a huge spike in, in entrepreneurship during COVID as well. So we'd love to hear from there. And yeah, that time period. Totally. Yeah. So I bought my first investment property in 2015. And just to give you guys context, like my parents, my mom was an immigrant from Mexico. My dad was born and raised in Merced which is basically kind of like an immigrant. I'm just kidding. Not an immigrant, but he was, he was born here in the States. But he, I, they, they had real estate growing up quite a bit. And my parents were super Catholic. They ended up losing a ton of real estate 
based on the fact of letting people that had money issues stay in the home. So say somebody was not able to pay rent, that month would turn it turn into three. And I find my, I found myself sitting in the back seat of a 1979 wagon, like the kind from National Lampoons. I don't know if you guys ever watched that movie where it's like wood, it's a it looks like wood paneling. It's not it's yeah. just metal. I was sitting in the back seat. I remember vividly thinking about this. I was looking out the window. My parents were arguing. I've never heard my parents argue ever in my entire life. They were arguing. We were going somewhere. I remember like literally looking out the window, just being like, man, I wonder what's going on. Second part of the scene, I'm sitting in the backseat of a courtroom. My parents are up front with the judge. And on the right side of my parents, it was the the tenants that they had in their home for six months that weren't moving out. And I remember the judge looked at my parents and was like, this lady, this is what she does. She was actually in here two years ago and mm -hmm. she rents homes, doesn't pay rent, and then will stay for six months or a year and then end up here in this courtroom. So like this is what happens. So in my brain, I almost like canceled out real estate. In 2015, working in healthcare, I was on the hospital floors. My job was to go to these hospitals. And I'm just giving you guys context of what my previous life as a child growing up, what my mentality was around real estate so that it comes full context as we're continuing to talk about it. So my, I was on these hospital floors and there was this really beautiful accent. And there was a lady that was saying things like, don't you know? And isn't he a doll? You know, that's, and I, I was drawn to that. And I went up to her and I was like, well, where are you from? And she's like, Fargo. North Dakota. I'm like, well, what the heck are you doing in Modesto? And she's like, well, I'm a travel nurse. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, where are you staying? And she said Motel 6 on 9th Street, which is like the dirtiest, most drug infested place ever. And she was working 15 hour days. And I was like, curious. I was just like, how much are you paying for that? And she told me, Will, that she was paying $3,000 a month for like literally a crappy hotel. In my brain, back in 2015, you could buy a home in Central California between 250000 and 300000 for like a pretty decent house. Your mortgage payment would be 1500 bucks. So my brain instantly, without thinking about real estate for years, was like, how do I house these people and how can I go to the source and connect with them directly where they will pay me as opposed to Barbara paying me? So because essentially that was what I was doing in my W-2 job. I was a you know business development manager. My job was to connect with folks to have them send me referrals. Essentially, that's what it what it was. So my brain flipped on to like, OK, I could probably buy a house right now or even rent a house and have Barbara's or other Barbara's that are same and similar stay. And I can make a thousand dollars from like literally a month without having to do anything other than furnish a place and then get a contract. So that's essentially what I did is I went down to the HR department. I found out that she got a contract with the hospital. And this is like a movie scene. I want you guys to think about this real quick. Maybe we talked about this before, Will. So I don't know if you guys have ever seen a scene where like a door opens and it's slowly closing and then all of a sudden it pans in on the very bottom of the door and then a foot like literally will come in and stop the door from closing. That was exactly what I did. Like, I'm not kidding you guys. That was verbatim what happened. I open the door, I go in the HR department and I say, hey, we have Barbara on Telly 3. She's a travel nurse. She works for AMN Healthcare. How do I get a contract with her to work like where I can get a property and house her? And I remember this lady, her name was Misty. She had a big giant badge. It was like this highlighter yellow color. And she, and she was like, and I always call people by their name. So I try to find their badges or whatever. I think that's important. And she told me like, you know what? We're having a hard time finding housing for clinicians. And that's where I was I, in my brain. I was like, okay, well, how do I get these people to do this? So I asked her, I just flat out was like, hey, if I'm able to get properties, is there a way that I can connect with you guys and essentially get a contract? And she was like, yeah, this is, we're actually looking for that right now. We're looking for people to network with so that our clinicians have somewhere safe to stay. So right at that point, I went to my friend that was a real estate agent, got in contact with a lender. 
And within the next 60 days, I was able to find a property, lock it down and get a contract with the hospital where they were going to be paying me 40, 40, 42, 50 a month to house clinicians at that property, whether my home was filled or not, they were going to be paying me that much because there were so many clinicians that were coming to the market at the time. So long story short, I bought a house for 340,000. It was one of the nicest neighborhoods at the higher price point. My mortgage was about 1850. So all in, I was at 22, 2200, 2300 a month. And the, the hospital was paying me 4250. So I was already cash flowing, you know, two, two K on one, one door which was unheard of in 2015. You know what I mean? So that was like my introduction to real estate. And subconsciously, I will, I realized this years later, Will, learning from my parents, how they lost a lot of their, their, you know, properties and stuff. I learned that subconsciously, I did not want to have to rely on a tenant to pay rent where I can have these agencies that will pay me. And that's what they did is they pay me three months at a time. So there's a clinician staying for three months. They would give me a three month pay payout. So 4,200 times three, you know, is essentially where we're getting. So you're getting this $13,000, $14,000 check. And I'm just like, holy smokes, this is amazing. And that's essentially how I started. And every year I just saved my money. I didn't spend that money at all. I kept it in a bank account. And at the end of the year, I'd have 24, 25 grand, depending if on expenses. If there was one year I did have a AC that broke down, I was like eight grand to fix. But I used all that money to just buy another property. And I kept doing that year after year after year after year. And that was essentially how I've discovered midterm rentals. And at the end of the day, it was really just solving problems. And we can dive into how I kind of went outside of that. But that was a sector that I knew had issues that still today, the healthcare industry, in fact, Forbes just had an article that came out about three months ago, one in four clinicians expected to leave healthcare by 2025. And I personally have never seen so many healthcare workers that are looking to get out of healthcare by investing in real estate as like a scapegoat. Now, more than ever, I'm seeing more clinicians start thinking about or investing or becoming part of groups or listening to podcasts just like this to get the knowledge to eventually leave. So the healthcare, the travel nursing sector is a $30, $30 billion industry. So it's massive. It's not this small little thing. It gets really, really big. And I think most people don't see that. And a lot of folks will sleep on that specific you know, model. So, but yeah, man, that's, that's kind of the origin story. For me, that's crazy because... I, you know, I got exposed to hospitality and short-term rental stuff through hotels and just being in the industry, not from a real estate perspective. So hearing you say that, I'm like, man, I really like kind of pisses me off. I'm like, <laughs> I wish I bought a house in 2015 and just started yeah. doing stuff like this. Like, that's so cool. I, I love the the natural curiosity too. And before we go into more of like the midterm rentals, and short-term rental stuff, I would love to know just from your childhood growing up and from your parents' lessons that you had to watch, whether they're painful lessons or actually good lessons that you know ended up working out, what carried through outside of obviously like seeing the courthouse situation, what would you say really carried into this new mindset and shift, especially since you had real estate so shut off in your mind when that moment happened what really carried through for for that moment for you yeah i remember one day i'm getting goosebumps talking about this because my dad passed away a few years ago and and he, he always to told me yeah man it sucks but he always told me that real estate was was such a positive thing regardless of all the stuff they had so they had about 10 properties and over the span of about i was eight years old in the back of that that car as a child which i did not want to be dropped off in school and by the way because it was the ugliest thing on the planet my kids my <laughs> kids are evil but he always told me that it was so over over 10 years they lost you know probably six properties and 
I would say about 70% of them were because of shitty landlords. And again, my parents had a very, my, they weren't, they were not business owners. And that was the problem. They weren't business owners. They were, they were way too ethical and moral in a way that most business owners probably should not be to that extent because they're taken advantage of. But he always told me that real estate was, was a win no matter what, because the longevity of it. So subconsciously, you know, I didn't buy my first place, Will, until I was 34 years old. So that's the other thing, too, is like, I think a lot of people listening to this are like in their 30s or in their 20s. And they're just, I can't wait to buy a place like, dude, I didn't start building stuff until I was 34, 33, 34 years old. And, you know, I'm in my I'm 40 now, 41 now. And that that time is there's so much that can happen. So I think it's important for people to think about that, you know, as they're building their real estate portfolios, whether that's one whether that's five or 10, like you can start anytime and be able to do this. So hope that, hope that makes sense. But yeah, my dad always said it, real estate's good no matter what, like hang with it. It's long-term long game. Yeah. I had a friend send me something. I can't remember if it was on Instagram or maybe just a text, but more in the line of timeline. When you think about time, comparison one obviously is like the thief of joy right so me saying even on this podcast man i wish i bought a property in 2015 <laughs> like comparing my, my you know my story to yours and you know we are all on such a different universal timeline that you know if you are 24 and thinking man i should have bought something at 19 well you're 24 like yeah. if you were buying stuff at you know 34 or 32 then there's so much there you know their, their timeline is so different anyways there's so many things yeah. that can go into it so I love that kind of like analysis. Yeah. Like, hey, you know what, dude? Like now that you bring this up, it's a good point. Because in my 20s, like I feel like we go through my 20s were my was like I was going through puberty. I know that sounds weird for me to say, but it was a mental <laughs> puberty. I think that, you know, in your 20s, you're trying to figure out who you are, what you're wanting to do, how you do things. And but when you roll into the 30s, you're kind of like, OK, I, I somewhat get it um, or I'm starting to understand it. And I think for me, my 20s, I was an idiot, dude. Like I my credit was screwed. I had like. Back in the day, we had cell phones. Like if you were on the phone, they charge you for how much time you were on the phone. So like Verizon bills and they were like $900, $1,000. And I just was like an idiot, didn't pay them. So going into my 30s, like my credit was shot. And once I had that connection with, you know, my friend that was a realtor and I went and talked to a, a lender and they're just like, dude, you got to, you have a 600 credit score. Like you got to get this up to like 680. That's when my brain was like, my parents were right. I need to take care of my credit. And like, I didn't think about that in my 20s. And I think a lot of people do that to a certain extent. So when I see operators that are in their early 20s, I have I have friends that are in their 20s that are just doing crazy things, dude. Like, I am so excited to see that they're thinking ahead, years ahead of where I was. And if I would have, and I hate to say should and could have, like, those are two words that yeah. I don't ever like to say ever. If I had a different mindset then and I was around the right people, I believe that I would have had a different outlook on money and investments and this is why it's so important to have things like this so people can hear them, have context and be able to, you know, think about things in a different way. I think right now, actually, I just posted today on threads. I'm going to give you my thought that I had. If you're not becoming smarter, healthier, wealthier and happy, you're using the Internet improper. Like you're using the Internet. You're not using the Internet properly. Like we live in an age now. It's there's so much opportunity for us to learn. Like somebody can just lit literally listen to your podcast, Will. And be able to build a portfolio like we live in such a beautiful age when yeah. i was growing up we had the internet but it wasn't as prevalent as it is now right yeah so. oh, that's crazy that that you say that i pulled out my phone i never pull out my phone on a podcast recording but yeah. i have an automated message to myself every day at 7 p.m 
that comes yeah. saying you're happy, healthy, building wealth and creating harmony in and around your life. And I 100% believe all of that is like through the power of the internet, through the power of social media, through the power of podcasting. I 100% am a big believer in that. Obviously, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't. But I think what you just said is, is so true. We have like so much at our fingertips. I I want to know for you, because when you put your foot in the door and talked to Misty and asked her about the contracts and kind of how to do all this housing, you know, for you, where was, I know, I know bigger pockets has been a big influence for you as well. Yeah. Where was your kind of big source that you went through? Did you start with searching anything online or did you just say, Misty gave me this information. I needed to get my credit score fixed and like buy this house and get this done. Yeah, I, I I was starting to think about real estate like my brain was always set on numbers. Like by the time I'm 25, I want to have a house. I want to own a house. So like this is the thing when you put these goals for yourself at a certain age, like if you don't hit those then you kind of just forget it and like it's like oh, I can never do that. So my brain, that was my goal. Like when I was 25, I wanted to buy a house, blah, blah, blah. At that time, it wasn't realistic. My credit was shitty. Like I didn't have a job that would sustain that. So I was like putting a lot of that stuff off, but eventually I, I just did it right away, man. I saw that there was an opportunity. I looked at it like a business. And I think that's what set me apart from a lot of the people that I talked to is that I had looked at this exactly the same way. And I wasn't one of those kids that uh, will that like was selling baseball cards in the, you know, on the fields, you know, at, at, during elementary school. Like I didn't have the entrepreneurial mindset, but I had a business mindset and I didn't even realize until that one moment where mm -hmm. essentially I was able to see the need in my market and capitalize on it. And it wasn't just my market. It was like all these different hospitals in the Bay Area, Central Valley, Los Angeles, all had the same thing. They all had Barbaros that were coming. So I saw like there's an opportunity. Like I see it right now. Now, how do I how do I do something about this? And I just use the skills that I had with my job. And I think a lot of people have skills. I mean, you could be a teacher and like, why am I going to get into real estate? Well, teachers are exceptional listeners. And that's really one of the most important things about building a business is being able to listen to people and then thinking about a way to adjust to the conversation. It's sales at the end of the day. And I think for me, that's where my strong suit was, is I was able to sell, like I could sell things. And still to this day, like, I feel like I'm a phenomenal salesman. I should probably be like a car salesman or something and probably kill it, <laughs> but a realtor or something. But I don't know, man, I just, I've always, always good at that. And I think that's where I realized like, okay, I can talk to these companies. I can pitch stuff to them. I could put together ideas. I can figure out how to save them money. And this is how I'll continue to build. And that's essentially what happened. How I was able to build a business. And I thought about it from a business from day one. I, I love that connection to the job and the lessons and skills that you learn in a job and application to business ownership and entrepreneurship. And one of my favorite questions to ask guests on the show, it, it comes from another podcast I used to listen to that no longer exists, unfortunately. But the question and the theme or maybe even the thesis to, to every guest on the podcast was, are you born or made? Are you, are you created or wired? Like what is your structure? And from hearing kind of you talk about it, I think I can guess your answer, but do you think you were born to be an entrepreneur or did, were you made eventually into through life lessons and experience and understanding, you know, made into this entrepreneur that you are today? I feel like traumas create who we are. Hmm. So whether I mean, you, a lot of people can decide what trauma trauma is. It could be one thing or another, but I feel we have a lot of this stuff in, in us already. It's really just finding that source and building on it. Again, if you guys look at it, my trauma as a child, my parents' first argument that I've ever heard that was like a intense argument. 
was in the backseat of a car surrounding real estate. So fast forward 20 years, 25 years, me getting my first deal, it was based around that idea. And what was I doing? I was not getting paid by people. I was getting paid by agencies, multi-million dollar companies. So subconsciously, and I'm a big proponent, like I really believe in like therapy and understanding yourself. So like I'm a part of, I've been in therapy for years now. And this is like, I get to look at things from a different lens and a different perspective. So I think for me, you know, being able to have that mindset and really seeing why I made those moves and subconsciously why they happened, it, it all goes back to that, that trauma as a child. So I think to answer your question, that was a long-winded answer that we have it in us. It's just really up to us to uncover and understand it and then build from it. I do think some people are wired to be entrepreneurs. And I think that is, again, by nature of you have a family that is entrepreneurial and you see that, then you're going to essentially lean towards that. But for me, I had an immigrant mother who was a stay-at-home mom and a dad that was a biological science, biological engineer that worked for Foster Farms. Essentially, and you're going to hate me for this. Everybody that I tell this is like, are you serious? Your dad was doing that? My dad worked in an experimental lab for Foster Farms. He was one of the guys that was pumping full of antibiotics to these to these, these, to these chickens to get them to grow fast. They were basically genetically modified. My dad was part of that movement in the 80s, 70s, 80s, and then it died out in the 90s, but he, that's what he did. So he was just like a super hard worker, smart, intelligent guy. But, you know, it's, he stayed at a job that he was comfortable at, that he hated, by the way. Yeah. yeah. No, I know. I, yeah, we have a very similar parent upbringing in a lot of ways with that, but yeah. It's, it's really interesting to see how that all really ties in. I'm really, really curious. You know, I've seen you from the moment we met on Clubhouse. You know, I, I knew you, you talked about midterm rentals. And now I'm seeing you talk a lot on Instagram and socials. You've, you've created a, a personal brand. And I, as much as I, you know, for any of our listeners that are in the, very much in the short-term rental space or very much in just hospitality in general, I, I, I do try not to use the, the term personal brand, but it is a thing in order to separate kind of how we operate as business owners. And so let, let me kind of get your mindset and kind of internal thinking from doing this business to then now being very public. You're, you're talking on podcasts, you're creating content, you're exposing, you know, what you see work and not work within short-term and midterm rentals. You've then now launched your midterm rental summit. There's just been such an evolution of your, your story and the way you have built yourself, which obviously you've talked about with therapy and stuff, but what's that kind of been like for you? What's maybe something that you had to overcome in order to get, maybe, did you have to get comfortable behind the camera or the microphone? Like, <laughs> yeah, <what> was... <laughs> that's a good question. I, I don't like, <laughs> like being behind the camera. I was one of those guys that like did not want to be on camera. I thought like every, like everybody that gets in, it's like, I don't look good. I don't look good on, on camera. I'm too chubby right now. Nobody's going to want to listen to me. I thought all those things, but at one point I'm just like, if I need the, my own internal thought was, was not as good as hang on. I'm saying this the wrong way. The way that I viewed myself and what I thought I can give to the world was that was more valuable to me. Like the, for me, cause just so you guys know, like I didn't graduate high school. I'm an idiot. Like I literally am an idiot. I didn't graduate high school. I wasn't, I was not good behind the class. I was not good sitting down. I'm pretty sure I might have ADHD. I've never been, you know, diagnosed with that, but I just, it was hard for me to sit still and to focus. And I graduate, I mean, I didn't graduate, I didn't graduate high school. And I remember just getting a job right away. And then I had a daughter that was born at 21 that like that shipped me into like, dude, you got to do something. You have to create something. You have to go into a job. So I ended up getting a job as a sales rep. Lucky enough. The only reason why I got hired is because I spoke Spanish. And they were hiring for somebody that could speak Spanish. 
And if I didn't get that role and I didn't see this guy that looked just like David Spade, had this charisma, charisma that was like, he was a, he was like the top sales rep. And in fact, sorry, I said that wrong. I was a delivery driver of oxygen. And I saw this dude, imagine this, you guys. He walk in, this guy walks into a door and just picture like a movie. Like he's like walking around, Will, he's doing this, like pointing at people, like doing this, like saying, hey, what's up? And like everybody's like standing up, like giving him high fives. I was like, I want to do what that guy's doing. Like everybody likes that guy. And then I go outside and I see these driving this like brand new BMW. And I was like, what does this guy do? And my boss was like, he's the top sales rep of our company. Like, you're never going to do that. You didn't even graduate high school. Like literally told me that. And I'm just like, well, OK, there goes my dreams. A job opened up for that for a position of sales. And I'm like, I went to my boss. and I was like, I want that job. I want to do it. Like, I know I could do it. And they laughed at me because they only hired people with bachelor's degrees and stuff in business and marketing. They couldn't hire somebody and they gave me a role. And they gave me the shittiest accounts on the planet that that guy, David Spade, lookalike, didn't want. And guess what I did with those accounts? Made them some of the best accounts that the company ever saw? Literally made them some of the best accounts that the company ever saw. And this was coming from a dude that didn't have a high school diploma, that everybody said was not going to work. They gave me 90 days to be able to do the position. And I literally crushed wow. it. Became the sales rep. I was in the, what's called the president's club at that company. And like that's when you're like high level, you know, multi-million dollar sales in a year. I was able to do that. And I think that's when the company was like, this guy could do stuff. And after that, they didn't, they stopped hiring people that had business degrees and stuff. They just started hiring people that didn't have that paying them a lower rate, obviously, but people do have skills and college doesn't necessarily always bring that. So I think the reason why I'm bringing that up now is that the formality of what people think, what we're taught isn't necessarily the, the route for everybody. And I think that there's again, traumas and learning lessons and things that people have in their life that shape who they are. And for me, that was my daughter being born at 21, like having to figure stuff out, you know, having to figure out how am I going to get a job? I don't have a high school diploma. Like, where am I going to be able to build something and stuff like that? And again, that was me being dumb. And like, why didn't I go back to school and get a GED? At least like I just didn't think like that. And essentially now, you know, I have multiple seven figure businesses. And I think that a lot of people can build this way and it doesn't have to be the normal path and you don't have to follow the curriculums that people do that are what are our norms. And I do believe that there's a lot of opportunity, but I do also believe that you have to have a tremendous amount of perseverance, grit, tenacity, and the ability to want to grow and learn by other people. Those are really important traits of growing in the space. All right, Slick Talkers, now for another dynamic sponsored duo of the podcast. I would love to introduce you to Vintory and Safely. About Vintory, we've had Brooke Fotts on the podcast, who is a founder, multiple times, and him and his team know numbers. They know data and they know marketing. They know how to help property managers just like you scale and grow their business by adding more inventory, aka more homes, into your rental program that drive the bottom line. For all of you listeners that want to learn how to scale and grow your inventory, you can get a free digital copy of Brooks' book called From Zero to 500 Properties in Five Years. And for an added bonus, if you would do a demo of the Vintory platform, you'll get a $50 gift card to Amazon. Now that's a sick deal. And now to touch on our friends at Safely.com. Safely.com helps property managers just like you and I protecting the homes that they manage from structural damage to content damage and of course bodily injury. This means plates, linens, cups, couches, tables, curtains, walls, and of course your guests themselves are protected. And this helps you by scaling your company in order to ensure that you are retaining owners and inventory in your program. If anything is broken or if anyone is hurt, you are able to make a claim through Safely and within three business days you can get in 
instantly paid out to replace any items and settle any claims that happen on site without having to deduct from your owner's payouts. That's why I call these guys the dynamic sponsor duo. And thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Check out their offers in the show notes and back to the episode. Yeah, I, I love all of that. And, you know, if you don't mind going down this route, I'm kind of curious, you know, no high school diploma, no college, got the crappiest, shittiest accounts that this company <laughs> could have passed off to you. Yeah. Turning them to the best, some of the best accounts that they had going to the president's club, having this mindset. And I, I, I want to correct you on some self-talk over here. You're not stupid. You're not an idiot. <laughs> you're a smart dude, obviously. And so, you know, what did that do for you? And I'm, I'm kind of curious because as a, as a man specifically, I want to have a family. I know, I, I know what I want. I know I, I want to have a wife. I want to have a kid and, or kids. I want to do like, I want to have that. I, I know I do. So yeah. what did that also do for not just you from that mindset of, you know, I'm, I'm stupid. I didn't graduate. Da, 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 da. And then to having now a daughter who gets to see her dad live such a wild and amazing example of like you can literally do anything even if it means not going down the normal route that everyone expects you to to go down yeah well i think having my daughter woke me up to realize like it's not about me anymore because just like a lot of us and even people that are you know that have kids like they're it's about them a lot of times and once my daughter was born like i realized like if i can't take care of myself how am i going to take care of this other little human you know Mm -hmm. she's relying on me she's dependent on me Again, this is going back to the childhood. My parents, my dad worked his ass off his entire life, like got a degree. He's one of the only kids out of 10 to get a college education. So that was the other thing, too, is like my dad was this like formal brain, like super smart guy, like new freaking Jeopardy, all the answers. Like he was one of those kind of guys. Like you're just like, how the fuck does this guy even know this stuff? (laughs) And and then for me to not go that same route of going to college to do all those things. So that already put me in a mindset like I'm I'm probably not the right person to like do these things. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm going to rewind this a little bit. I skateboarded a lot in my childhood. And if you guys are familiar with skateboarding at all, or anybody understands that it's like you do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, where you're just trying to land like one trick. If I didn't have that like mentality of trying to do something and failing and continue to do it hundreds of thousands of times, like I think that that was such a big part of the, the, the growth for me is, being able to do something over and over and failing and then landing it and then moving on to the next one, the next one, that was a, a skill that I learned. And that anybody can, that was in sports has the same mentality, right? It's the same kind of thing. But I think there's something about failing so many times and then finally sticking it, landing it, whether that's a movement, an inch different on your foot path or your, you know, a, a, your, your foot weight on a different part of the board at a certain time. It's just those little tiny movements are incremental and they, it's what makes you land that trick eventually over time. I have that, I had that same mindset going into things where I'm going to try stuff. I know I might fail, but I'm going to continue to do it. So once my daughter was born, I was kind of like that kick in the ass. It's like, dude, you got to figure stuff out. You got a job right now. You see where this David Spade lookalike guy is walking around driving these BMWs, you know, high-fiving everybody. Everybody loves them, you know, and then having that, like, I want to do that kind of thing. And what's the skill that that one dude had? And he was able to talk, have people know, like, and trust him. And I think mm-hmm. if there's anything that anybody can do, like one thing that you can like the one skill is be able to have people know, like, and trust you. And I know that probably sounds like, how do you do that? Well, if you just read one book, how to win friends, how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. If you just have that one book and you study the crap out of that book, and that's the only book you're able to read, that's literally the one skill that you need to be able to build like a fantastic 
business. It doesn't matter what you're going into because it's going to teach you how to connect with people. And I think that is so, so important, you know, just being able to connect with people. Yeah, I love that. And it, it brings me back to my early hotel front desk days where yeah. I I brought it to podcasting and I and I never really kind of talked about this a lot. But the number one thing I think you can tell when in customer service, when you're with people, whether you're in business or working in a job or anything like that, if you can listen, people will tell you what they want, even if they don't tell you directly, if they're not saying I want this. They will tell you within their time of talking, whether they're complaining, they're telling you about their day, their trip, whatever it might be. They will tell you something that is an underlying message for us that if you listen, you can pick up very quickly and you can be able to immediately apply, anticipate the need of what they just told you, even though they didn't know they told you. And then you can now bring it into a moment where it becomes like you said, where people know and like you because you do something that outstands from everybody else and all the other conversations they have throughout the day, you actually listened, you actually listened, took it and applied something to it. Now, I think that was like such a big moment for me. I'm curious, do you see that same thing within your business? Cause I know you're doing content. I know you had your conference. Maybe we can go into more of your, your personal brand side now, but yeah. even with guests, like guests complain about, Hey, the AC is not working or whatever. But really, there could be a different underlying issue. Like maybe they're tired. They're three, 30 minutes before the AC is not working. We had a long trip here. Our kid was crying the whole way. Da, 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 da. Like there's so many things that you can use to kind of understand. All right. The AC might be not as cold as they want. Might be broken. Who knows? But there's something else behind the scene that they're not really just saying direct. I'm curious for you. Do you have a, a certain skill that goes into that as well? Yeah, I think listening is is such an important skill. And, and the problem with that is nobody did anybody ever teach you, Will, where they're like, Will, this is how you focus. This is how you listen. No. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm undiagnosed ADHD for <laughs> sure. <laughs> I remember a teacher, I was sitting in the back of a class listening, and she her name was Miss Ingstrand. I'm gonna call her out right now. She's probably not alive anymore, <laughs> but she this I was in ninth grade in high school. She's like Jesse, focus. Like, how do you like just focus? And I remember like raising my hand and being like, how do I focus? The entire class laughed at me. Like everybody in the class laughed. But I, I remember sitting there thinking like, nobody's taught me how to focus. Like, what does that even mean? You know what I mean? So I think there's a lot of stuff that we necessarily don't get in school. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I think when you're in customer service, whether you're a waiter, whether you're a front desk bellman, whether you're whatever jobs you have, there's a way that you can you can apply those skills. We talked about it earlier, right? And yeah, everything that I've done, like the customer sales jobs, like I worked as a, a in Walmart as a camera salesman, you know, when I was like mm. 16 years old and uh, dude, I didn't know anything about cameras, but I would tell people like, you know, I, this is a camera I have at home. I've used it and, you know, I play, I'd play around with them and stuff like that. But then that's where you get to like, listen to people and, you know, they'll tell you a story about how I had this before and how it didn't work. And like, okay, well, here's a, here's a camera that will solve that problem. And again, it's like, yeah, how do you marry those things? And I think that again, the skills that you have internally that you've learned at whatever job you're at can be transferred to a lot of different things. But I think to relate to your question, I've always wanted people to feel comfortable in a space. And I think that's where hospitality is kind of in my blood. And that also goes back to like me being a childhood when somebody would come over, my mom would offer like a drink. Do you need this? Do you want food? And that's like classic Hispanic culture. It's like, how do we have this person feel comfortable being at home? Almost to the point, Will, where it's like, if you don't eat this, this is a disgrace to us. Like that's literally what, it, <laughs> what, what would happen in, in Hispanic culture. Like if you don't take a bite of this, like we're all going to be pissed about it. So it's like, how do I have that same concept with with my folks that are coming in that are staying at our properties? At the end of the day, 
I want them to be the most comfortable they've ever been. And I think for me, I'm going to bring something up and it's going to make me a little bit sentimental right now. The reason why I love hospitality so much in Airbnbs and short-term rentals is because uh, I lost my dad in 2017 and some of the best memories that I've ever had in my entire life were in these short-term rentals with my family. So for me, and I'm getting goosebumps talking about this right now. I don't know if you guys can see this or not. I don't know if my camera's going to adjust on that, but I truly love building a space for people to come and then they're going to remember that feeling in that home their entire life what other business can you be in where you're able to supply a memory like that for somebody and for me that's like why i do what i do like i love to take care of people i love that feeling of them creating memories being in a space even if it's for a night or 30 nights or six months them having something to walk away with and remember and I think that's hard for a lot of people, especially now with the, you know, with short term rentals, people are getting into it for money. You know that. Yeah. And money's great. Like, obviously, money's fantastic. We need to have money, right? <laughs> so it keeps it keeps the world going around. But at the end of the day, it's about taking people, taking care of people, giving people things that they didn't think that they deserved or needed at the time and thinking about any potential issues or problems that can happen ahead of time. And how do we resolve those? And I think that's what hospitality is about. It's about creating a space for somebody to be comfortable to create memories, to, you know, think about all the potential issues that can happen ahead of time and mitigate those. But not everything's going to be perfect, right? But it's how you respond to those things is what makes you a brand and what makes you, you know, create something that people are going to remember and then know that this guy tried to do this or didn't try to do this. And at the end of the day, that's what you have to do. And you come from a hotel background, like you guys have been over backwards for people. And I think a lot of short-term rental operators should take that hotel mindset and adapt that to their, you know, to their short-term rentals. That would go a really long way. But Sorry, another long-winded question, answer. <laughs> no, I love it. This is what the whole podcast is for. Yeah. And and dude, like you got me, you got me emotional talking about your dad. And so just well, I, I love that's how you can, you know, sit back and remember him and also, you know, apply to your current day, you know, with short-term rentals, midterm. You know, and we, for the listeners, we've talked about midterm rentals a little bit with you on this on this episode so far. One of the things I've seen really stand out with you as I've watched your kind of journey over the last three years is the balance that you have with the mix of portfolio type and not to, I don't want to shift, you know, conversations super far into like, all right, tell us how do you structure short-term rental versus midterm portfolio and blah, 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 because that's not really what the show's about. But you know, with you learning these lessons along the way, what have you found more? I've, I've tried to choose my words carefully with stuff like this, but not impactful, but what has been the really big determining factor, I guess, for you to kind of do that split of short-term, mid-term hospitality focus versus like working with agencies and kind of getting that plug in. How, how do you structure that? And what's kind of been the the learning process now that you've gone that route since the the time that you've taken that leap from full-time W2 to, to entrepreneur? Yeah, I, I love short-term rentals and midterm. They're, they're very close connected. That's the thing that I want everybody to realize, like short-term rentals and mid, midterm or medium-term rentals are very close connected. If you have the ability to do both, that is such an advantage over a lot of places because a lot of places have municipalities that don't allow short-term rentals, right? But for me, I like to leverage short-term rentals during peak season and leverage midterm rentals during down season. So essentially, we're mitigating risk. Uh, any intuitive investor is going to think about risks ahead of time. They're going to think about how do I continue to build a strong portfolio that has um, that doesn't have peaks and valleys. Like your your peak is continually staying at top, and that's what an intuitive investor is going to do. Think about the stock market where we have you know COVID, everything dropped and it came back up and then it dropped. Like an intuitive investor is going to think about how do I keep cash flow consistent all year long. And with midterm and short term, say you're in Houston, Texas, which is a market that I have property in. 
Houston, we kick ass in the summer, but when it slows down, like we're literally not making very much money at all. But if you midterm, you can essentially make pretty damn near close what your short term rental numbers are. So we're making six thousand, seven thousand a month for the entire year, as opposed to six and seven grand for, you know, from April to August and then a dip, you know, two grand right around there in between. So now we're just we're staying consistent all year long in those markets. But again, I think that there's a way to connect with companies and businesses where we're building a house on our own land. And this is something Mark Simpson said, and I, I love it. For those of you who aren't familiar with Mark Simpson, he's he's a direct booking guy. He said, you know, at the end of the day, we're all employees of Brian Chesky, if you really think about it, because we have property that's listed on their platform. And just like you guys know, Airbnb sometimes will screw up like San Bernardino, like three weeks ago or a month ago, turned turned off literally every single booking that everybody had in those markets, flipped them into 30 days for like literally 24 hours. We're not reliant on that. We're not building a house on our own land by being on a platform like Airbnb or, or VRBO even. Granted, yes, they are a platform where millions of people see us, but for something, for some reason, if something was to happen, you won't have that. And what I do is I go after these businesses where I create, I create my own land. I create my own opportunities. I create my own folks that are coming to me. And the cool thing about this, Will, is that say I have 10 properties in a market and I have these agencies that are sending me referrals every month. I can sell that referral based business for probably just as much as my my properties, maybe not as much, but that's a business in its own. You can't sell your Airbnb business as just your Airbnb business because there's nothing you're reliant on Airbnb. But I can now go to go to investors and say, hey, here's my portfolio. Here's where our net operating income. Here's the businesses that are attached to it. Here's the companies that continue to send us referrals no matter what. And this is what we're growing on. So my net operating income is changing. My EBITDA is changing. My, I'm being able to have underwritten deals from banks based off of the letter of intent from companies. So it's like I'm creating something legit. Not that short-term rentals aren't legit, but we're just listing on a platform waiting for people to book us. You know what I mean? So 100%. yeah, I don't know if that makes any sense or if that was even off context, but at least it gives you a little bit of thought process behind what I do. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know. Have you seen the... I, I think it's a movie. Have you seen the movie The Founder or Founder? Uh-uh. It's the, the story of McDonald's where basically these two brothers create McDonald's. It's awesome burgers, you know, it's, you know, great place for all these people. It's like Dick's Burgers. And if you ever go to Dick's in Seattle, really yeah. good food, but they're operating like crazy. And this guy comes in basically and wants to franchise it and take it, take it bigger than just this market. And great movie for entrepreneurs to watch. But basically what he does, and it's a sad story, unfortunately, for the brothers, he screws them over and starts realizing it's not the money isn't in the burgers. It's in it's in the land. It's in owning the real estate where the burgers operate. So he starts basically buying all this land, creating you know all these franchises are popping up like crazy. He runs into cash flow issues, all this stuff. Long story short, the end of the day, the brothers get screwed over because he owned the land and at the end of the day was able to control and dominate how the company ran and and that was it like he owned the land so boom took over and and now he was the founder of of mcdonald's and to what it is today and so a lot of the things what you're saying with airbnb as much as i i'm a big believer in the platform that's you know made a lot of us money and has made a lot of us be able especially during covid be able to create this financial freedom and this lifestyle Mm -hmm. You know, 100. You're right. They they own the land. They could take it out from underneath you in a heartbeat. So mm-hmm. building out a brand and all this other stuff is super important. What advice would you give, maybe even to Jesse three years ago, that you know now about 
owning land and owning the owning kind of the market rather than just the the funnel what would you say like is a big piece of advice that you give yourself or anyone listening today yeah the biggest piece of advice i give is skate to where the puck is going i think a lot of times people are focused on like here's a shiny object i'm going to go after it whether that's short-term rentals or not if you look at smart money which is institutional money wall street money if you are able to pay attention to what they're doing ahead of time typically they make moves three to five years before the general public blackstone was just just raised 30.4 billion dollars what are they doing with that money they're ditching traditional assets like commercial buildings things like that they're getting rid of those and they're building for the next three to five years so they're diversifying their portfolios guess what they're getting into go ahead we'll sure, just take it off no midterm rentals extended stay hotels uh, they're buying single family homes to connect and have people stay there for more than 30 days at a time you guys can all go look this up google it and look it up online so they're they're essentially getting away from what traditional assets were where you know where people were investing commercial real estate which is you know kind of getting hit hard when you start seeing institutional money and by the way those companies hire princeton harvard graduates the smartest people on the planet to look at data where it's at now and then project where it's potentially going to go based off of like COVID, you know, things like that, like what we've never seen before. So that's a good indication. Like, okay, here's where the market's heading is looking at smart money, institutional money. So I would say, again, look at where the skate or skate where the puck is going rather than where we're at today. And I think that's what separates a lot of intuitive, smart investors that are thinking they're forward thinking as opposed to like thinking about today. Because real estate, again, at the end of the day, you guys is long game and diversification is so, so important. And if you watch like Charles Schwab or Warren Buffett, all these like really smart people, they don't put all their eggs in one basket. They're diversified because if one fails then they have this other one that picks them up. So I think it's really, really important to watch what those people are doing. They build cred credibility. Wall Street, smart money has been doing this for years and years and years, you know, but not only that, but real estate has been the same for hundreds and hundreds of years. There's a time which is time is now where it's hard to find a cash flowing long-term rental. And if you can't find something now that pencils in long-term, what do you have to do? Short-term, mid-term, there's other ways to do it. So I think that real estate, as the markets continue to evolve, we're going to have to be way more creative with putting together deals, how we can outsource them, how we can use short-term, mid-term together. And what are the hotels doing? What are these other agencies doing? What are What's Wall Street doing? So just really pivoting. I think that's what I would give myself. I didn't start having that mindset um, probably until COVID, but before that, you know, I was thinking in just like here and now kind of way. I like that. That's great. Great advice. And, you know, I think I gave you a heads up and I'm glad. So to give some context to you, I had another recording this morning with somebody, but I canceled it due to, I didn't think it was really aligned with me as a person or even what the listeners really want. It was very anti-normal podcast guests I probably would have had. So I canceled it this morning and I told you that every time we have a guest on the show, we have a question for the guest from the previous one and you can leave one for the next person. Yeah. I'm glad I have this question for you because I think it was perfect. It was divine. It was not made <laughs> for the other person that was supposed to be on this morning. Yeah. And so the question is from Jason Reese. And I don't know if you met Jason, but Jason and I got to connect in Nashville SDR Wealth. And he's very into AI, but he's got properties out in Nashville. And mm -hmm. so from Jason, his question is, if you are on your deathbed, what would have you wanted to accomplish by that time? And if you are not on the path to accomplish it, what's going to make you get on that path? Yeah, that's a good question. I think about things from my deathbed all the time, <laughs> like in perspective to that. And the reason being is because I think about things like, is my, is my future self going to be happy with what I'm doing right now? 
And I really relate that to a lot of things. So I, yes, I would say I'm on the path that I, you know, I'm teaching my kids about real estate. I'm teaching them how to grow businesses. Them going to the midterm rental summit, seeing 400 people like in there to watch me speak was like, holy crap, my dad's doing something cool. And I don't yeah. think they ever had that context. They like your dad's on YouTube, whatever. Like he's a wannabe <laughs> guy, whatever. I think once they saw that, they were just like, I can do whatever I want. And that was one thing that my parents told me as a child all the time. They were always like, you could do anything you want. We live in this fantastic country where literally people come here from all over the world because they, this is a land of opportunity. Like you could do whatever you want. And that is true. Again, we have, we have the internet, we have all these things. So yeah, I, I would say that I'm on the path right now. I just want to continue to educate people um, to have them understand, like you don't necessarily have to follow the traditional path to have them understand, like you don't necessarily have to follow the traditional paths. You can invest in real estate in a different way. You can house people midterm. You can create a business out of your real estate portfolio. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm definitely, I, I, that's a good question. And hopefully the answer was, was good enough for you, Will. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I, yeah. I love how you start the, the answer with, I think from my deathbed all the time. <laughs> I, really, <That's, laughs> I think that's so important for people to do that because we're, and I, I think about this daily, like everybody that we're know we're going to lose one day. And for you to have like, that's a sobering reality. Not only for you to spend time with people momentarily to be present with them while you're with them, but also to leave something behind that when you're not here, your grandkids or somebody else can pick up. So for me, it's like, no, we have to give those to our children. And well, you don't have kids yet, but there's going to be a point when you do, and you're going to have these things in the back of your mind. Like, what is something that can I can transfer to my kids? Because essentially, you're leaving what you know to your children, and then they're going to leave to their children. It's a cycle of things. So there's a, Ed Milet says something that he's like, you know, who's, are you the one person in your family? And that's like, you know, the one person that either builds wealth, that builds something awesome for people, that the family looks at things in a different way. Like, I'm that one person. I know that for myself and I would encourage everybody right now to really think about that. Like who's the one person in my family? How can I be a difference? How can I change the, the, the demographic of what our family has been used to? And are you that one person? How do you become that one person that literally changes the entire trajectory of a family? And I think for me, I'm, I'm that one. I think a lot of us are that one and we might not yeah. necessarily realize it or understand it, but yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. I love that. And this has been such a fun episode and before we wrap up and, I know there's so many things I, I think we need to do a part two or something, but <laughs> yeah. like the part of me that I want to like go into the midterm rental summit and there's so many things. So I definitely think we need to have you on again. If for anything, sure. we probably just keep going, but I also want to respect obviously calendar stuff, but for, for you, what, if you had to ask one question, anything under the sun for the next guest for the podcast without knowing who they are, who's scheduled next, what would that question be? Yeah. Well, at first I was thinking of something silly, but I don't know if that's the best thing. I was going to ask, do you know what a squatty potty is? But I mean, everybody knows what a squatty <laughs> potty is. I would say, what's the defining moment? What is one defining moment in your life that changed the trajectory of your life? Hmm. Like one specific defining moment and a negative one that what most people would say would be negative. And the reason why I bring that up is because my defining moment in my life was, you know, that childhood drive to the courthouse. Like that shaped the way that I thought about a lot of things for a lot of times. And a lot of people will take that as a negative. So that'd be my question is what's one negative thing that's shaped your entire life? Because I believe that adversity brings a lot out of people, those hardships, yeah. having your back against the wall. That's when I'm at my best. And I think a lot of people are at their best in those same scenarios and situations. So that's my question. I love it. It's like the, the, the term or saying about being uncomfortable, right? When you get comfortable, that's when you get complacent and that's when you don't probably do your best work or you're not paying attention as much. But when you're uncomfortable, 
you're you can be you could thrive in that in that environment so yeah. i really love that and that's a great question now jesse the the famous question which everyone listening knows i'm going to ask but they also <laughs> know what the answer is going to be is everything's going to be in the show notes obviously but if you had one link specifically for anyone to connect with you reach out or even just follow along as you continue to build the empire that you've built you know, where would that one link be yeah, I would say head over to my YouTube channel. That's where you're going to be able to get long form content that I break down these specific things on a regular basis. And that's yeah, on YouTube. Just type in Jesse Vasquez. I think it's Jesse Vasquez slash AirVenture is what my name is, but I'll pop up there. That's the place to find me or on Instagram at the real Jesse Vasquez. But YouTube is probably the best route. Nice. I love it. Well, Slick Talkers, you know that I'll plug it all in the show notes. So make sure you like and subscribe to everything Jesse Vasquez as he's continuing to build and go on that path towards his deathbed, which sounds weird to say out <laughs> loud, but in a good way, the great path of inevitable. leading up to that moment. Inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesse, my friend, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast and just share everything you shared. I know for sure. And this is just like me running off the cuff here. But as men specifically, I know it's hard to share some of this stuff. I know yeah. it's hard to kind of, you know, publicly state failures or feelings or certain things that have happened. And so just to be the way you have been on this episode is super encouraging. I hope, you know, obviously the listeners can take some kind of value from that type of, if that's the one thing they could take away, I'd be super happy and, and proud to have this as an episode on the podcast. So just thank you so much for taking the time and, and the opportunity. Yeah, not only that, but share this with other people. You know, I think that's really important. You know, I'm sure you're going to say that already in the intro of this. Yeah. this. <laughs> like and yeah. share, folks. Will, I appreciate you for having me here, man. This has been fun. I love talking about this stuff. I think there's so much opportunity for a lot of people and you having a platform where people can listen and then take action. So it's awesome, man. I love it. Well, you heard it here first, Slick Talkers. Make sure you like and subscribe to all the things and we'll see you again next week. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast possible. We hope you enjoy the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week.